0: Welcome to the Strategic Boardroom Insights from Thought Leaders, where we speak to experts in organizational leadership, human capital management, and business strategy. We hope you enjoy this episode brought to you by Bullseye Engagement, a leading provider of cloud based employee development and strategic business software solutions. So let's shift our lens to DEI as a strategic imperative. I'm sure that this is not any news to um, to you, uh, and um, and it's certainly for us at AIG is a is a really big initiative for us. Um, the insurance industry in and of itself is not always as diverse at certain levels of the organization, so we have to have a very um, concerted effort in terms of what we do to widen the talent pool within the organization for diversity. So this graphic on the right-hand side just kind of illustrates, right, that the, you know, you, the only way to get diversity at more senior levels is if we have more diversity entering the organization at other levels. And so um, we are looking at ways in which, and I could, have, you know, you know slides and slides and slides on this, right? So I'm not going to go through all my slides um, with you on our own, our own strategy, but I will tell you through early careers. As an example, we have some strategic relationships. Uh, and, you know, depending on the size of your or, your organization, you can have a strategic partnership. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to be a large organization to have a strategic partnership to widen your talent pool for diversity. There are lots of organizations, lots of universities that are happy to partner. Um, and you can look at this in new ways, whether it's apprenticeships or it's, a, an opportunity to, like I said, you know, we have a nonprofit that I started for high school entrance into the workforce, right? There are so many different opportunities to, uh, to widen your pool of talent. And we're looking at a number of those returnships for the organization as women have left the company uh, and other organizations as well. So let's talk a little bit about DEI and workforce diversity and how are we thinking about it and how can you, perhaps um, some of this will resonate for you. But, you know, I look at the overall funnel and when we've looked at our numbers for diverse slates, like we, we started with diverse slates. So we had a lot of conversations with the organization about what is a diverse slate and where do you measure diverse slates along the funnel, right? We, we do, you measure at the start of the funnel? Do you measure it at a conversion? And so we've had a lot of conversations about what is a diverse slate and where do you measure it? And I'm actually of the mindset that, uh, you know, this this entire area of work needs to shift from diverse slates to blended slates because we've had a focus as a TA team or as an organization on underrepresented groups. And so, um, you know, one of the things we need to do is continue to widen our aperture in terms of every kind of diversity within the organization. So we're making that slow shift at AIG to more blended slates. But right now, what we look at is, you know, our first, our sourcing challenge. Do we even have a pool of diverse talent? And what is that makeup of our overall applicant pool? And I can tell you, it's, it's not great, right? Like, so everything from our websites to how we advertise ourselves on LinkedIn, how we use our marketing dollars on LinkedIn, uh, where we choose to post our roles, what are some of those alliances that we have to post our roles. Uh, Those are all gonna impact our sourcing strategy and the pool of diverse talent we have. From that start of the funnel, you've got how many applications come in, how many resumes are looked through, the initial screening, and then we have the selection challenge. The slate of diverse candidates that are being interviewed by the hiring manager is how we are, we are defining our diverse slates. And so at that point, the hiring manager has an important decision to make. Do they feel that we have looked an, enough for diverse candidates? Are they happy with the candidate profiles that they're seeing? And, um, and then we go from there to the interview stage, right? So that's where the diverse slates really come in. We have candidates who are interviewed, we extend offers, we have offers accepted, and then our final challenge that we look at is our conversion challenge. So have we, um, do we have a diverse slate of interviews to, are we converting diverse candidates into our organization, right? So I don't want this to be a check the box exercise, I always say to the recruiters and to our hiring managers, where you've interviewed for diversity but we're not hiring for diversity so I do look closely at the data to see where do we have opportunities where we are perhaps not converting the diversity but we have a high number of diverse talent that have applied and have interviewed but are not being converted so we can really get to understanding well what is happening in that part of the business. So maybe this will resonate and maybe this will be helpful for some of you to think about as you're looking at diversity, because it is a really big part of being a, um, to, you know, in terms of the, being a strategic talent advisor as a recruiter at this point in time. So, you know, one of the things in terms of increasing your, the diversity of your applicant, applicant pool and how can you do that, is to ensure that your sourcing strategy is inclusive. And I think we've borrowed this graphic from, <laughs> from CLC or one of one of those resources. So it might look familiar to some of you. But you know, in some cases, some you have applications where some candidates might not apply because the job description was not well written. So the first step we've done is to say, well, our job descriptions need to be well written. We have we're pilot testing um, Textio, which some of you may know is a tool that helps to uh, eliminate bias from job descriptions by pointing out words, some of which you may not even think twice about, right? Like we might say, we need somebody who's really strong in X, Y, or Z. And then that word strong might be flagged because it is more of a dominant or male oriented word. And so it may limit uh, women from applying, right? Uh, or we might say we need somebody who is um, especially fine tuned and communicating. And so that might trigger, well, that's a little bit more feminine oriented and some men may not choose to apply. We might have bachelor's requirements that are not necessarily needed and are limiting our talent pool. So we're using Textio as well as our own Savvy to help write job descriptions in a way that um, it's going to be more open for for, uh, sourcing. And so sourcing is a second area. We might not source some candidates because we're not sourcing from the right places. So where are you resourcing from is a big question. And I don't know if I've actually got that figured out, right? I think from a sourcing standpoint, we tend to go to very similar locations to source talent. We all know what those are, whether they're LinkedIn or whether they are different job boards that you're working with. Um, but we are trying some new options as well in terms of ensuring that we have good sourcing in the organization, including using our talent insights group, uh, but also looking at um, key strategic partnerships that we have as an organization where you know, maybe it's the um, black actuarials um, group and we are able to post positions of the black actuarials. So we look at different opportunities for sourcing. Once you have that, then you have a more diverse pool, right? That's going into your funnel. Some of the other opportunities in terms of increasing the diversity of your applicant pool one is to focus on adjacent skills. So, what are some of the, you now we all have organ, work in organizations where leaders will say, no, no, this is exactly what I want. And I want it from the individual to come from one of these three organizations. And you just know it's going to be nearly impossible right so what are some adjacent skills uh, that will increase the diversity of your applicant pool building more of the proactive pipeline so this goes back to our silver medalist relationships that we have Um, and some of you you know as you said that you're great at relationships especially keeping in touch with individuals so that you can reach out to them on an ongoing basis there are organizations that are so good at that, right? They are constantly calling individuals and they have individuals who are dedicated just to that, which I think is phenomenal if you have that kind of a uh, of ability. But I think recruiters do such a good job of staying in touch with individuals. Leveraging professional associations, which I talked about earlier, each of you are in industries where professional associations are a big part of, of the work that um, you can do and the access that you can have. And then our final tip in terms of increasing the diversity of your applicant schools, stay close to industry, news, and networks, who's moving, Uh, which organization is restructuring, where are they moving to? You know, who's doing what as it relates to the future of work or going returning to the workplace so where you know that you might have an opportunity to um, go after some great talent. Yeah, this is great. Building the proactive pipelines is fantastic. I think that's really in terms of DE&I as a strategic imperative, that's so important. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's interesting because at AIG, we don't have a CRM at this point in time, so a lot of it's kept on spreadsheets or in other ways. And I think these proactive pipelines are so, so critical. If you are at an organization that has a candidate resource management tool um, you're you know well ahead of the journey right and making sure that you're able to keep those pipelines in play it is interesting that um, you know we didn't have anyone focusing on adjacent skills and and that is that can definitely be difficult when you get pushback from a hiring manager um but you know if there's if there are adjacent skills that you can really leverage i think that's that's powerful in your industry so we're all looking for experts all the time aren't we we want the person who matches hundred percent. And it's hard to say yes to somebody who might on paper look like they are at 70%. but sometimes you know that helps us with our overall um, pool of talent. So the third area, you know, so we've now we've looked at the changing role, right overall. and then now we're into two areas in particular that are super important for the talent acquisition functions. So the first was DE and I. And the second is um, great resignation. So let me just start by sharing um, what the great resignation is, and then we can talk about your role. So some of you may have heard about this or have started feeling the pinch of it, Um, but there have been some HBR articles, and I think it's been in the press more and more, around a mass voluntary exodus from the workforce predicted to occur as employees are asked to return to the office. So, I think there's a lot of reasons behind this. <laughs> For example, um, it's not only in terms of you know do they want to work from home versus work, work you know in the office, but there is some pent up turnover demands that we're seeing at least at AIG where individuals you know didn't leave the organization in the last year because of concerns overall about the work environment, about their careers, <laughs> and, and you know not wanting to move in during a time of uncertainty as well in the world now as schools have reopened in a big part of the united states and i know that around the world it's different still that you know schools have started to open more and more organizations are asking individuals to come into their into the office environment it is an opportunity for people to really vote with their feet in terms of where they see themselves in the future and make those moves just anecdotally before i even share some of the next couple of slides with you i can tell you we've heard from from my recruiters, I continue to hear that application volumes are down. Uh, You know, it's it's scary to me, but for some of our roles, we've had zero applicants recently. And for, you know, the world's largest insurer insurer going through one of the most massive transformations um, in, in this part of the, you know, the business area, it's uh, fascinating to me that we don't have people just you know, absolutely hungry for roles at AIG, but it's a reality of it, right? So we need to do a lot more there where um, we need to increase uh, the ability to get great talent into the door. And so those p- proactive pipelines are helping us quite a bit. And it's not a lot of roles that we've had zero applicants. I don't want you to think that that's the case, but even one or two here or there are cause of buzz in the organization. Uh, And so I'm also hearing, you know, that our workload is high because turnover is up and that's very real too. So we're starting to see trends very close to 2019 and I track them on a monthly basis. I look at the data on a monthly basis to see where we are. Um, Our Glassdoor numbers are looking really good. So there are very different, you know, ways in which you could take a look at how your organization is faring from the standpoint of the Great Resignation. So let's look at some data, because I I always think that data, you know, and and I know many of you said that that's an area you want to get better at as well. So here's some some stats that, that might surprise you. I won't read all of these out to you, but a few key ones, some of which you may already know that according to the first one, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, more than 4 million people resigned in April alone, making it the highest quit rate since the agency began collecting the information in 2000. It's a lot of people are resigning in one month. Um, 39% of HR professionals have noted that it's more challenging to fill roles than in previous years. Um, we have some stats on insurance industry, which may not be as interesting to all of you, uh, but I would say that the next one down on the right-hand side, employees age 30 to 45, so an overall increase in resignations, average of 22% between August 2019 and 2020, and we expect that number to increase by the end of 2021. So that's the employee age where you're seeing a lot of resignations as well as with women. We know that a lot more women left the workforce in 2020 than men, so that this is one of the reasons we look at a returnships program, for example, to help women come back into the workforce if they've had to leave uh, their jobs for whatever the reason was in the last one or two years. So really the question is, what can you do, right, related to the great resignation? Mm. So we have a few tips, none of these will be too surprising to you given everything we have discussed already. Use your relationship building, use your pipelining to stay connected to this high potential, high performing candidates internally and externally because you don't wanna lose internal candidates either. So there, there is more and more of this lens of recruiters looking internally as well as externally. Partner with your HR business partners and managers to address this potential talent gap. So what do we want to do if we're seeing zero applicants, right? What do we want to do if we're in situations with multiple offers? I just had an email before I joined this call. The individual had three offers. Um, one of the organizations responded in a snap with, you know, their, their offer, their um match their, you know, whatever their uh, outstanding compensation was of the other organization, and basically had all their ducks in a row while we were still reviewing an offer internally. And so what is that speed that we need to get to to make sure you're in front of these candidates who are getting offers so quickly from multiple organizations? and the internal and external data to identify the key trends. So wherever you can get your hands on that data, that's helpful. Um, if that's some research that you need to do, if that's something you can assign to a person on your team you know, to, to on a weekly basis. Sometimes if you have an individual on your team who's a coordinator or somebody who's hungry to do some more, they've, I've done this in the past where I've asked that individual on a weekly basis just to do the top news for the team, you know the top headlines with the articles, two or three articles for the week and send it across to the recruiters. If that's all you can do to, if you have access to a lot more available to you through your insights teams or other sources of data, you just use that as much as you can in terms of understanding where the best talent is going, where the best talent is located and what they're really looking for in terms of their careers.